Thank you for joining us for this episode of the IPI Policy Basics Podcast. Today's topic is, we're pro-market, not pro-business. We're coming to you today from the studios of Salem Media Group in Dallas, Texas. I'm Tom Giovanetti, the president of the Institute for Policy Innovation. With these IPI Policy Basics podcasts, we're building an audio library on basic policy concepts and topics for those who want to learn and understand how to think about policy or for those who need to get up to speed on a particular issue. And today we're going to talk about the difference between being pro-business and being pro-market. And I'm counting on the able assistance of our resident scholar, Dr. Merrill Matthews. So today we want to talk about the fact that as a free market organization, we are pro-market but not pro-business. And I think this is a really important differentiation that people don't necessarily appreciate. And part of what made me think about doing this topic today is that I had an experience this week testifying before the Texas legislature on a particular bill where this comes into play. So in Texas today, the state of Texas will not allow Texans to buy, for instance, electric vehicles direct from manufacturers like Tesla. And the reason for that is that the state mandates the dealership model, the auto dealership model. Now, Texas is not the only state that does this, but there are a lot of states that allow direct purchase of automobiles. Uh, Florida, red state like Florida, allows customers to buy Teslas direct from Tesla. But in Texas, you can't do that. So I went down to testify on this. And of course, as a pro-market organization, we think that kind of protection of a particular business model makes no sense. And so I gave my testimony. But what was really interesting was to hear the response to several of us who testified by the chairman of the committee. And the chairman of the committee told one witness that he was simply not willing to undermine the auto dealership model because that's the way we've always done it. And it's good for the auto dealers and auto dealers are important to which I could only sort of groan internally because this is a perfect reflection of this idea about being pro-business rather than pro-market. The idea sometimes when you hear people talking about business is this idea that it's good to be pro-business. What's good for business is good for the country. But very often that ends up devolving into simply what is good for a particular business at the expense of another business. We did a Policy Basics podcast in this series on the topic of the idea that consumer welfare should always come first. And that's related to this because it really is true that consumer welfare should come first, not what's good for business or what's good for a business. Because pro-business policies often run the risk of benefiting businesses at the cost of consumer welfare, at the cost of consumer choice, lower prices, and things like that. And you know, Tom, I recall Dick Armey back when he was um, majority leader of the House of Representatives. He said one time, he said, I, I, I have people coming by, companies, businesses coming by all the time, wanting him to support their particular issue. And he said his question always for them was, how does this help the consumer? And that sort of turns that table. I understand you're here to lobby for your business yeah. or your industry. How does that help the consumer and not just your business? And that was sort of his standard. But the, the point is so important because in the, in the political divides in the country, Republicans and conservatives have been sort of tagged as being pro-business, 
not pro-market, but pro-business, mm-hmm. whereas uh, liberals, Democrats, and so forth, they say, we, we may say they're pro-union, but they want to say we're pro-worker, we're pro-individual, something of that nature. But the, uh, the, the issue is businesses oftentimes are just out there to cover themselves. Right. They want to do things to support themselves. Remember when Donald Trump uh, started imposing tariffs on the steel industry and the aluminum industry. And some of the steel and uh, companies said, hey, this is great for us. We mm-hmm. like this. And then you had this issue arising of, OK, do you, if, if you're a Republican or conservative, do you agree with that? And our answer was, no, we don't agree with it. Right, right. Because we're not here trying to support a business or an industry. We're here supporting markets. And if another country can make a, a certain product better, cheaper, more efficiently, and consumers benefit by buying that as opposed to the U.S. made one, generally you want to have that trade going on because that's the more efficient option. That's exactly right. I mean, th- there's a huge difference between being pro market and pro-business. I've listed out here a few sort of typical pro-business policies. Uh, Very often, you'll have protectionist policies where you're protecting businesses from either foreign competition or even domestic competition. Which is where the steel tariffs, the aluminum tariffs can come in. And that wasn't, I mean, businesses were doing, but that was the president doing it. Yeah. And I I I actually have tariffs listed here as separate from protectionists because there's all kinds of protectionist policies. Tariffs are are one particular kind. For instance, you could say, we're not going to let any more than X pounds of steel into the country. Mm -hmm. And so you're not imposing a tariff, but you're imposing a a, tariff. quantity there yeah. that limits the amount that can comes in. That's intended to help U.S. businesses. Exactly. So you've got just sort of a bunch of different kinds of protectionist policies in general. You have subsidies where mm-hmm. the government gets subsidies to farmers and other kinds of businesses. You have indirect government aid like the Commerce Department, you know, helping companies market their products overseas and taxpayer-funded junkets for business leaders to go overseas and try to open up markets. And, of course, you're talking about at the federal level, but states can do this as well. Oh, absolutely. States can say, we're going. if you'll move here, we'll give you a lot of tax breaks, mm-hmm. which helps the company. And, and to some extent, I'm sympathetic to it if a company is moving and they're incurring a lot of cost to move from, say, California to Texas, mm-hmm. something that go, goes on a lot. But just in, in many cases, they've said, you know, if you want to set up a – Movie making, if you want to do movies here, we'll give you credits and so forth just to try to lure businesses here. Right. You have um, you have subsidized subsidies, direct subsidies. You have federally guaranteed loans. I remember during the Obama administration, uh, the federal government was handing out huge amounts of money to green energy companies, and Solyndra and companies like that. Right? Happening Guar- again. <laughs> yes, well, it is happening again. You would think we would have learned that lesson. And the, the news was filled with stories about some of these companies who had received hundreds of millions of dollars from the federal government and then had gone belly up right? because the tech didn't work. It was too soon. Uh, it wasn't, the technology wasn't there yet to make it, to make it competitive. And it was just huge waste of taxpayer dollars. I think about the export import bank, mm-hmm. which is a federal agency that literally provides financing for American companies for their exports to other countries. Um, we already talked about like price supports. A lot of times the farmers, for instance, will have price supports for different kinds of products that they're, that they're making. How about bailing out failed companies? How about bailing out the banks and bailing out uh, auto manufacturers and things like that? And just in general, the idea of the government picking winners and losers, right? The government saying, you know, 
we think that a particular technology is the cutting edge, and so we're going to favor it, we're going to subsidize it, we're going to do all those sorts of things. So those are examples of pro-business policies, and I just want to point out that the one thing they have in common is a waste of taxpayer dollars. It's, it's spending of taxpayer dollars either inefficiently or in a way that is not at all useful or necessary. And then, of course, there's one way in which they don't necessarily spend taxpayer dollars, but that is when the federal government mandates, as they do ethanol, mm-hmm. so they used to provide subsidies for ethanol. Now they say, we're just, now the government just says you have to have a certain amount of ethanol, so we as consumers have to pay for that without right. the federal government doing it. Yeah. But again, it's, uh, it's, I, I'm fine with ethanol if, if consumers want to buy that, but I don't know that the federal government should be mandating it here, and that is such a... a important political issue because Iowa is the largest corn producing state. Mm -hmm. That's where the first uh, caucus is in the presidential elections. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of politicians have turned around who've been skeptical of ethanol and mandates like that in the past. As soon as they decide to run for president, all of a sudden they're for it. Well, when you say I'm not opposed to ethanol, but I'm opposed to mandates, that is like a perfect expression of the distinction we're talking about, right? Right. It's the distinction between markets. If ethanol succeeds in the marketplace, fabulous. Good for ethanol. And I've actually had energy people tell me that if they didn't have the mandate, it probably would because ethanol actually increases octane and you get more octane for Mm. the same amount of money. So if the, if refiners said, we're going to put this in here because this creates a better product for us. I'm fine with that. But having the government mandate it ends up being a, the government resides sort of aligning with business rather than consumers. Exactly. And, you know, we, one of the reasons besides the waste of taxpayer dollars, one of the problems with this idea of pro-business policies is that the government doesn't know which businesses it ought to be subsidizing and which businesses it ought to be favoring. It thinks it does, but it doesn't. And on this point, I would refer people to the Policy Basics podcast that we did on the on Hayek's knowledge problem, because uh, Friedrich Hayek dealt with this extensively, this idea that there's an inherent problem with government-directed top-down policies, and that is that the government assumes that it has knowledge that it doesn't have. Mm-hmm. It assumes that it has more knowledge than the market has about what businesses ought to be succeeding and what businesses ought to be failing. So that's the second real reason why pro-business policies are a bad idea is because of the the knowledge problem that was so well explained by Hayek. And just to, just to add on that, even though politicians don't have that knowledge, what they do know is that whether or not they're getting enough money for their pack. Yes, yes. And, that's and exactly that's right. where the money comes in is that they start the... Uh, People who are coming by to lobby them say, "We incidentally, we'll make a contribution to your PAC. We're making a contribution to your re-election, Mr. Politician. And so now let us tell you about this really important in, uh, issue that we think is important to the to the consumer, but it is, in fact, important right. to the industry and the business. Yeah, it, it's cloaked, cloaked in consumer welfare, but actually right. it's good for the business. So we've talked about, we've given lots of examples of pro-business policies, but let's talk for a couple minutes about markets, okay? Um, and why markets are best for consumers. First of all, markets involve competition. In fact, most of the time, vigorous competition. Uh, They involve easy entry for new companies to come into a marketplace. You don't want high barriers to entry for somebody to start a new business or even start a new product. Markets are decentralized. They run from the bottom up, not from the top down by government. Markets are voluntary. You don't have to buy a particular product. You don't have to engage in a particular kind of commerce. You don't have to shop at a particular store. 
markets encourage innovation because they respond to supply and demand based on price signals. Pro-business policies, by contrast, you know, respond to, as you've described, Dr. Matthews, politics and the interest of, of elected officials, whereas markets respond to price signals, not political pressure. Markets are neutral and they're unemotional. Markets involve the freedom to succeed, but also the freedom to fail. And this is something we, we, we tend to not appreciate. We don't appreciate that it is actually important that businesses fail when they're not doing a good job, when they're not competing, when they are out of date, when they've not kept up with consumer demands, when they've not continued to streamline themselves and to innovate and impose new technology. The freedom to succeed is critical, but the freedom to fail is also critical. And I would argue that one of the primary reasons behind businesses and industries going to politicians is because they are failing in some yes, way. Exactly. Somebody is out competing them, doing a better job. Maybe it's because they're more efficient. Maybe it's because they're able to find uh, less expensive labor. Maybe it's because the the failing politicians or failing business just spends too much. Mm-hmm. They take too much income or to take off too much of the profits or something. For some reason, they are not able to compete. And, and, or, and instead of becoming more competitive and efficient, they simply go to try to get the politician to extend their business model. That's right. It, in, a, in an innovative, growing market economy, businesses are going to fail all the time, either because they screwed up or just simply because of just creative destruction that's going on because of innovation. But we need them to fail. And so the market may guide us toward a business failing. But pro-business policies then would have the government come along and try to change things, bail them out, protect them from failure. And that is not, in the long run, good for consumers. It's simply good for that one particular business. So let's talk about what is the government's proper role. If, if it's improper, as we think it is, for government to be pro-business, if it's proper for it to be pro-market, what does that mean? Well, it means the government ensuring a, player, a fair playing field protecting property rights, ensuring equal access to the law, ensuring equal access to the courts. But other than that, staying out of the way, not tilting the playing field, not picking winners and losers, not biasing a particular industry toward the big players as opposed to the small players or things like that. We want government to not be anti-business, of course, but we don't want government to be pro-business either. We want policies that are neither anti-business nor pro-business. We want policies that are pro-markets. And that is because, and Dr. Matthews, you've given us several examples over the course of this podcast, the interests of businesses are sometimes, but not always aligned with the interests of consumers. So Tom, let me ask you this question. Uh, Both President Trump and President Biden have wanted to try to stress a type of America first, especially with certain industries, because we could be caught unawares. They thought this might be the case with pharmaceuticals, the creation of vaccines, the creation of medical material that we needed during the pandemic. There might be semiconductors or other things that are uh, at least strategically or from national security standpoint sensitive. Is there a role for the federal government to say, we want to make sure that we have a semiconductor industry, which we wouldn't normally say in most instances, but we want to make sure we have that. Or uh, Donald Trump's pressure for steel tariffs was we want to make sure we have a steel industry. 
uh, that's available in case tensions arise, war or something of that nature. Is there a role for the government to be pro industry on something that is to help an industry out because we feel like from national security concerns, we need to have this here? I certainly think that most free market advocates, and I would include myself in that group, would say that there's always a national security consideration. Um, and so there's like, there's, it, it, you know, if I'm ranting about the importance of free markets and, and not government being pro-business, there's always a little asterisk there next to it, I think, which is for, with exceptions for national security. But even most of the time when government lately has claimed a national security exception. It hasn't really been about national security. As when under the Trump administration, they said we may have a national security interest in the car manufacturing. I mean, mean, President Trump really grossly abused this. He used used national security as, not to be overly cute, but as a Trump card, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, national National security is not involved in steel imports. It's not involved in getting air conditioners from Mexico instead of the United States. It's not involved in tariffs on timber from Canada. Uh, so it, it's a kind of thing that can be easily abused, I think. But I think any reasonable person would say if there is some critical commodity, you don't want to be dependent on someone at which you're having international tensions. And one of those might be the rare earth minerals that, uh, that we need in a number of ways, but have typically been go- coming from China, I believe. It, it could certainly be for things like critical types of computer chips and the raw materials necessary, and that would include the rare earth minerals and things like that. Sure, I think that makes sense. And of course, we've talked over the years about the importance of, of energy independence, mm-hmm. right? And you know, fracking has pretty much solved that for us. It's not really a concern, at least at the present time right now. But I think everyone understands that there's always legitimate national security considerations. It's just it seems like nine out of ten times government overplays that hand mm-hmm. when they're when they're making that claim. Now there's another point we also ought to bring up, and this one's a little bit painful to me, because I'm I'm we're not big on antitrust here. But I think we should point out that this is the legitimate role of antitrust law, is because you're we're pro market, not pro business. And so if you actually did have a legitimate situation where consumers were being actively harmed because the market was not functioning or there was not enough competition, then we have to at least acknowledge that there could be a legitimate role there for antitrust law to protect markets. So I think most of the time when government gets involved, they're being pro-business rather than pro-market, but there is at least a theoretical case to be made for antitrust law as a way of protecting markets Mm -hmm. from businesses that might gain too much power over the market or too much market share, that sort of a thing. So, you know, to sort of wrap things up and bring things back home to this current thorn in my side, which is this issue of Texas protecting auto dealerships from competition by direct sales. That's a really good example of the state of Texas being pro-business, in this case being pro the auto dealership business, Mm -hmm. as opposed to pro-market. If we were pro-market, we would not mandate or decree a particular business model. You want not only competition between businesses, but you want competition between business models. And if someone comes up with a new way of doing things, you want to allow that new business model to be attempted. And in, and just as an example, when the internet made it possible for people to buy their airline tickets direct, mm-hmm. we didn't protect the travel agent industry. All right. And there are many people today who used to work as travel agents and they no longer do because that industry has almost but not completely gone away mm-hmm. because of the competition from the, from the internet. But we didn't protect the travel agents. 
but yet in here in Texas, we're still protecting the auto dealer. So a good example of a pro-market policy was allowing the disruption of the internet, and it did happen to put most of the travel agents out of business, but that was still pro-consumer. So we didn't protect the businesses because consumer welfare should always come first. But yet today, if you want to buy an electric vehicle in Texas direct from a manufacturer, we are not putting your consumer welfare first. We're putting first the welfare of protecting the auto dealers, and that's pro-business, not pro-market. Well, we hope that you've enjoyed today's Policy Basics podcast. You can find a lot more information about the importance of free markets at our website at ipi.org. If you've enjoyed this podcast, how about giving us a favorable review on iTunes or on your favorite podcast platform? And how about sharing it with friends you think might be interested? Thank you for joining us, and we will see you next time.